Thanks for joining us today. This week's podcast was presented on August the 25th by Pastor Alan Duncalf. In this week's message, we reviewed the very famous Psalm 51. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. And I'm going to ask everybody to please check your phone. It, I don't know why we just had this, uh, this, I think for three or four weeks now, phones are going off in every service. So if you could just make sure your phone is off, that would be excellent. I appreciate it so much. Well, today is the ninth of ten sermons from the Psalms. And if you've been around for the summer, you know that we've been looking at the Psalms of David. Of the 150 Psalms in the Old Testament, about 75 of them were written by David. Now, David, in case you don't know, is, uh, is, is the one who slayed the giant Goliath. He is the one that became the king of Israel. And we, uh, we, when we look at the history of Israel, we see that during David's reign, Israel was at its zenith. It was, it was in, in peak and uh, top um, uh, in a top position, best position it had ever been in. Now, um, the thing about David that we are all interested in knowing uh, is that he is a saint and he's a sinner. He is a, a man who is called a man after God's own heart. And if you read through the Psalms, and many of you have agreed to do that this summer, I hope you did that, you'll see that, uh, that David is a man who's very aware of the fact that he is, in fact, a sinner. We'll talk about that more in just a moment, in case you don't know what sin is. But David is, uh, David is a man that loves God, but he's a man who, who sins against God. And we see in David a man loved by God, but a man who indeed has failed God. Now, here's what I know about everybody in this room. Every one of us could be described in exactly the same terms. Each of, in every one of us is, is a sinner, and we have sinned, and we have failed. In fact, some of you have come to church this morning uh, feeling overwhelmed by your sin. But the fact is, is that every one of us uh, needs the grace and the mercy of God. And so the psalm we're looking at today is probably one of the most famous psalms in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Psalm 23 is probably the most famous, and, it's, uh, and I would argue that Psalm 51 is the second most famous, which you'll see uh, why in just a moment. But do understand this this morning, that David is a man that desperately needs the forgiveness of God. And in fact, Psalm 51 begins with these words, for the choir director a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. That's how this psalm begins. It doesn't, doesn't, sound like, uh, doesn't sound good. It sounds like we're starting off very badly indeed. But this is really what Psalm 51 is about. It's all about uh, one man's awareness of his capacity for sin, one man's awareness of his sin, one man's awareness of his great need of God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. So let me just give you a background to the psalm. 
Uh, you, you heard me talk about it briefly last week about how Nathan comes, Nathan the prophet, comes to confront David because David has done a great crime. Well, what has he done? Well, let me just quickly read to you from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 to 5. And it begins like this. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Sin has entered into David's heart, but not just David, into Bathsheba's heart as well. They've broken the laws of God. They've sinned against each other. They've sinned against God. They've sinned against Uriah. They've sinned against the nation. But they don't immediately confess it. Now, this is so often the way it is with all of us. We're caught up in our sin, and we don't want to immediately admit it. What we'd rather do, if we can, is we like to hide it. We'd like to work it out and cover it over, smooth it over, and nobody has to get hurt. Nobody needs to know. And so David thinks to himself, well, what am I going to do now? There's only one thing I can do. I need to get her husband back and get him to sleep with her. And so that's what he does. He calls Uriah back from the battlefield. says, Uriah, you need to come back and, uh, and be with your wife. Uriah comes back at the king's command, and rather than going to his wife's bed, Uriah, being a nobleman, says, how can I sleep in this comfort in my bed with my wife? Well, my fellow soldiers are on the battlefield. No, he decides he's going to sleep in the courtyard of the king. And there in the courtyard of the king, he will take his sleep and, and he will refrain from any pleasure with his wife. Now, David asks him, Uriah, have you, have you enjoyed your time with your wife? And Uriah tells him, no, I didn't. And here's why. How can I do this when, when my commanders and my fellow soldiers are, are sleeping in such discomfort? So David thinks, well, what am I going to do now? He thinks, I know, I'll get him drunk. If I can get him drunk, I can get him back to his house and into his, into his wife's bed, and hopefully something will happen. And even though he's drunk, Uriah, again, goes to sleep in the king's court with the other soldiers, refusing to lay with his wife. Now what's David going to do? So what he decides to do is he decides, well, there's only one thing to do. we got to kill Uriah off because if Uriah finds out about this, I'm going to have a bad reputation. Everybody's going to find out about this, 
and it's going to make me look bad. It's going to make Bathsheba look bad. In fact, she'll pro they'll probably want to stone her. And so what he does is he actually writes a letter to Uriah's commander and says, in that letter, put Uriah on the front lines. Put him right at the front lines. Uriah's commanders know exactly what David is saying. David is saying, put Uriah in the place where he will be the first one killed. And so there's Uriah, unbeknownst to him, carrying in his hand his death sentence. And he takes it back to his commander and dutifully hands over the command from the king. And Uriah is put at the front, and of course he is killed. And David thinks, whew, disaster averted. How many of us deal with sin exactly like that? What David forgot, David, the writer of Psalms, David, the musician who sings to the former king, King Saul, he forgets that although you can fool humans, you can never fool God. Now let the Spirit of the Lord speak to you right now. Because it's so easy to live a lie. It's so easy to pretend. It's so easy to lie to your wife or your husband or your children, your boss. It's easy. But what you don't know is that there is someone who sees. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. He understands what is going on. And God saw full well what David had done. And the next thing you know, God is speaking to Nathan and telling Nathan what happened. And Nathan goes and confronts David and tells David, David, you have sinned against God, against Uriah, against Bathsheba. Now, I want you to see something about David. David does not protest this. He does not argue. He knows instantly that he's caught. He knows instantly that he's guilty. And he refuses to pretend. He refuses to excuse his sin. And he instantly confesses it. In fact, that is what Psalm 51 is. It's a confession of David's sin. Psalm 51, to me, is truly one of the most beautiful, the most comforting, most powerful psalms in the Old Testament. When I was younger, I memorized it. And you'll see why in just a few moments. Now, last week, we talked about sin. Today, I want to talk to you about repentance. But before I can talk to you about repentance, and by the way, repentance simply means you're going in this direction and you turn around and you go in the other direction. That's what repentance is. But before I can talk to you about repentance, first I have to talk to you about sin. You have to understand what it is. You have to understand what effect it has on you spiritually. And here's what I know after all these years of being a pastor and a Christian myself, there's a lot of people who don't want to admit it. They don't want to say, I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. They don't want to tell anybody I'm a sinner. They don't want to admit that they've ever done anything wrong. It's always somebody else's fault. 
This is what we do. This is what humans do. We excuse our sin. We pretend. We hide. And every difficulty, every struggle in your life, it's never your fault. It's always somebody else's fault. Well, I'm going to tell you something this morning. David faced lions and he faced bears when he was a young shepherd boy. And these were not his greatest problem. He faced the jealousy of brothers after he was anointed to become the next king of Israel. His brothers looked on and said, why David, why not me? It was a, it was a problem, but it wasn't his biggest problem. He faced the giant Goliath who was probably four feet taller than him. That was not even his biggest problem. And when Saul, the king at that time, was trying to kill David, that wasn't even David's biggest problem. David's biggest problem, and this is really critical that we all understand this, David's biggest problem was his sin nature. This is our biggest problem. This, this desire to do what we want to do. Now you say, Pastor Allen, what exactly is sin? Well, I've come up with a simple little definition. Oh, by the way, this is, this is a picture of David looking down at Bathsheba. By the way, who bathes in public like this? Well, apparently Bathsheba. And if she didn't hook the king, she would have hooked somebody. But there it is. So let's look at the definition of sin. Sin very simply is this. It's disobeying our Heavenly Father. It's breaking his laws and his rules for life. That's what sin is. Now, can I just quickly point out something to everybody? Because this is where a lot of people, if they're, if they're not, if they don't, maybe don't go to church or they doubt the church or doubt the Bible or doubt what we're all about, let me just quickly explain to you what sin is and what the rules and the laws of God are. What a lot of people don't understand is that God is not some sort of a cosmic party pooper that wants to rain on your parade. God wants you to, to thrive. He wants you to survive. He wants you to be happy. He wants you, now this is really important. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to have joy in your life. He wants you to have a joyful marriage. By the way, speaking of joyful marriages, tomorrow marks Gloria and my 30th anniversary. Thank you very much. And it's Glory who should take the bow, not me. <laughs> if you're going to have a happy and joyful marriage and a happy and joyful family life where your kids want to come home after school and not go to somebody else's home, if you're going to have a happy, happy uh, career and a place where, you know, where people want to be around you, if people don't want to be around you, then you maybe need to look in the mirror. It's probably you. God wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be happy. And this is precisely why he's given us his rules or his laws. It's not to make life miserable for you, but to make life great. In fact, Jesus, when he was on this earth, he declared it himself. In John 10.10, he said, he said, the thief who is the devil, he comes to rob, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it rich and abundant. So if you want to know what Christianity is all about, it's all about how to have a rich, satisfying, happy, joyful life. 
But it means then that you're going to have to do things not your way, but you're going to have to do things God's way. And the question is this, are you willing to do that? Now, you might sit here skeptical and think, I don't believe it. Well, listen, if you're going to be intellectually honest, then you're going to have to explore this. And if you don't want to explore it, well, that's fine. But then don't, don't throw stones at the church or Christianity because you're not being fair. You need to explore this. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been a Christian since I was eight years old, and I'm going to tell you that I honestly don't know where I'd be today. I can tell you that I would not know the joy and the happiness in my life that I have because of my relationship with God. Happiness, my friends, joy comes from living a life in obedience to the Father. Well, you could say, well, Pastor Allen, there's some churches that I've gone to, they don't even mention the word sin. Well, hey, it happens to be a trend these days. And one, one church uh, historian and, and uh, researcher, uh, he's done some research, and here's what he reports. He says, we've got what we call church marketers, marketing the church. And what these marketers are trying to do is they're trying to create an environment where, where they are able to attract customers. Now, I'm going to tell you, never in the history of Christianity have we ever called people who come to church customers. Seekers, yes, but never customers. And these church marketers, what they're saying is we've got to make it as comfortable for people as possible, especially for people who don't normally go to church. In fact, this is what he says. It should avoid, the church should avoid speaking of negative matters like sin. Now listen, to come to a church that never talks about sin is, is uh, well, first of all, it, it, I, don't even know how, I don't even know what to do with that. Psalms alone speaks about sin 161 times. The gospel speaks about sin about 159 times. And throughout the scriptures, it talks about sin thousands of times. In fact, you can't even really understand the gospel or the good news about Jesus Christ if you don't understand sin. Because what we see in scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that Jesus Christ and the gospel of his death on the cross for our sins is in fact the antidote to our sin. And here's what, here's what everybody knows. Whether you go to church or not, you know what sin is. You know when you feel guilty. You know when you feel shame. You know that feeling inside of you of darkness. You know that feeling of wanting to medicate so that you can forget about your sin. So you can forget about the bad things that you have thought or the bad things that you have said or the bad things that you've done. Everybody understands this. What we do nowadays is we go to, to the doctor, the doctor, I can't sleep. Can you give me some kind of medicine? And can I just tell you something? This, this addiction to medicine for everything is something that is unique to the Western world. You go to Burundi, nobody ever takes a, meta, a, a pill for anything. Just non-existent. But that's how, that's how often we deal with 
with the feelings inside of us of guilt, of shame, of stress, of anger, of bitterness, any negative emotion, doctor, I need a pill. And I especially need a pill so I can go to sleep. Or we go to see the psychologist or the psychiatrist or the counselor. Sometimes we'll even go to the pastor. Maybe the pastor can solve my problems. You know, in David's day, there was no such thing as a psychiatrist, a psychologist. There might have been court physicians, but here's the thing. David understood that the way that he's going to deal with his guilt, the way that he's going to deal with his depression, the way he's going to deal with his negative emotions is by running to God and asking God for forgiveness. Now, you're not going to hear this in a lot of churches. But I'm going to tell you, the fundamental need of every human being is that their guilty conscience be cleansed. That happiness and joy return to our hearts by having God heal us of a broken heart, of a guilty heart. So here's David, fully aware of his sin. coming before God, not making excuses, but simply saying, God, I confess to you my sin. I have sinned. We find David repenting and saying, God, I'll never do this again. We find David crying out to God for forgiveness, and we find God forgiving him. Now, I know some of you are sitting here today thinking, I wouldn't forgive him of that. Well, we see that a lot. We see people look down their nose at other people uh, who maybe have sinned greater than them. Can I just remind everybody of something today? If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, then you have got to understand your capacity for sin. You've got to understand your capacity for adultery. You could commit adultery. You could, do, uh, you could commit murder. You could commit all manner of sin. You have to understand that about yourself. I'm going to tell you, David did. He knew that about himself. He was not naive about his sin. And so this is the first thing that we find about David. He's not ignorant about sin, and he's not naive about it. He knows how it works. He knows that he is vulnerable. So he's the last one to be shocked that he has sinned. Amazing how shocked we are when we hear that people have fallen and fallen into sin. What are you being shocked about? This is human beings. It's human beings at our worst. You need to know that about yourself. David knew that. This is why in so many of the Psalms he's written, he's confessing his sin and he's admitting, God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your power. I can't live this life, this life that pleases you without your help. In fact, we see back in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have sinned against God. They ate the fruit. They've disobeyed God. Remember, that's what sin is, is disobeying your heavenly Father. They broke the one rule. There's only one rule then. Don't eat the fruit. That's it. And then by the time we get to Moses, Israel's got 613 laws that they're not supposed to break. 
But Adam and Eve, one, one law, don't break, that, don't break that law, don't eat the fruit, and they, they did it anyway. Why? Because of their pride. Because they felt God was holding out on them. Isn't that so often why we sin? We, 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 we're looking for something more. We feel, God, you're, you're not giving me the best. I gotta go find it myself. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. But chapter four, their two sons, their first two sons, they, they, the two sons, Cain and Abel, offering a sacrifice to God. God accepts Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. Because Cain is not giving a sacrifice the way God told him to. And Cain became very angry and very jealous with his brother. And God came to Cain, and he warned Cain, and he said this. He said, Cain, do you understand that if you had done the right thing, you would be smiling, you would be happy? But because you have done evil, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to rule you, but you must overcome it. Now, some of us are sitting here thinking, man, I, I sure wish uh, my brother was here to hear this sermon. I sure wish my, my mom was here to hear this sermon. I wish that, but it's you. You need to hear this. Sin is crouching at your door, and it wants to have you. It wants to control you. It wants to take over your life. It wants to wreck your family. It wants to wreck your marriage. It wants to wreck your health. It wants to wreck your career. David understood that about sin. And he was willing, willing to get before God and do business with God to make sure that sin wasn't controlling his heart. When's the last time you did business with God? When's the last time you threw yourself on your face before God and cried out to him for mercy? This is David, a man who fully and completely understands the power of sin but also the power of repentance, of coming to God and confessing sin. Now I want to tell you something. In a lot of churches, they want to give you sermons to tell you how to be happy. In fact, there's all kinds of gurus on TV. They want to tell you the secret to happiness. If you Google happiness, you'll be amazed at the results. All kinds of, of articles scholarly articles and in psychology journals that are going to tell you about what happiness is and how to get it. But I'm going to tell you this morning, the way for you to have happiness is by making sure your heart is right with God. Making sure that sin is not controlling your life. Because here's what I know. Anybody who's got sin, hidden sin, or as David says, cherished sin. Sin that's not dealt with is the one who's not going to be happy. But the one who knows what it is to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in him and, or in her is the one who knows what it is to walk in joy and happiness. Isn't that what it means to be a Christian? To be full of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, joy, 
Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Where, where sin is controlling your life, there's no joy. There's no happiness. You know, as a culture, we try to medicate ourselves against the unhappiness that's in our life. There's even a, there's a, there's a, uh, a channel on TV devoted to comedians where you can go and have a quick laugh. And if that's not enough, you can go and have a quick drink. Anything to, to mellow you out. But I'm going to tell you, there's one way that you can find true happiness, and that's by dealing with your sin, coming before God the way that David did. Admit your sin. Confess your sin. Do you know that you're a sinner in need of God's grace? David did. That's what he says in Psalm 51.5, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. He knew he was a sinner. Folks, once you've established that and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's your condition, the next thing you need to do, need to do is do what David did. You, you, need to, uh, you need to say, God, give me back my joy again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. I can't live like this anymore. Well, how do, you, how do you get that joy back? Well, we read on. For I recognize my rebellion, David admits. Are you willing to admit that? I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. I'm going to say, this is very hard to admit. In fact, I would say that unless the Spirit of God enables you to admit this, you probably can't do it. You cannot admit that you are a little rebel. So often when I do baby dedications, and everybody's, ah, I'm looking at, this is a little rebel in my hands. Just waiting to grow up and, and rebel. David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. Your judgment against me is just. You want to get your happiness back? You're going to have to come before God and admit you're a sinner. Admit your sin. Admit what you've done wrong. You but Pastor Allen, compared to other people, I'm a good person. I haven't done what David did. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered anybody. Yeah, but what about the other areas of your life? Has anybody ever heard of the seven deadly sins? Pride, envy, gluttony, lust, anger, greed, laziness. These are all sins. In fact, we can go and keep, keep listing them. Until we understand that this is, this is a universal human condition that needs to be dealt with, you're going to continue on unhappy. But when we recognize that we rebel against God and that we would rather pursue pride and envy, and that's right, rather pursue it, then we're going to be in trouble. David understands that it goes beyond just confessing his sin and admitting that he's a sinner. He needs to do something else. He needs to stay heart, close to the heart of God. And that's why he says towards the end of the chapter, 
You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. Hey, can I just stop for a moment before I go any further? For there's some people that have this notion, this idea that Christianity, you just make lots of sacrifices and you appease God. That's not Christianity. I gave, I gave lots of money in the offering plate. I'm supporting uh, kids in Burundi. I'm, I've, got, I've got eight of them. I'm, I'm, look what I'm doing. I'm involved in church and I'm, I'm in leadership role. And this, David is saying that God's not impressed with that kind of sacrifice. What is it that impresses the heart of God? David says, you don't want burnt offering. Here's what God wants. The sacrifice that you want the sacrifice, God, that you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. You want to know the favor of God in your life? Then come before him in humility. That broken and contrite spirit that David's talking about is simply a heart that says, God, I'm in such need of you. God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. God, wash me clean. That's what a broken and contrite heart is. God, I've sinned against you. And folks, don't wait till the big sins come along. Take care of the little sins every day. Confess your sin. God, I lost my temper again. God, I said something I shouldn't have said. I, I cut somebody off in traffic. God, Forgive me. I had a wrong attitude, God. Forgive me. Listen, here's the thing. As soon as you start to live this way, this repent, I call it a repentant lifestyle, where you're coming before God, you're confessing your sin, then you will maintain your joy. You will not lose it. But the minute we forget that we are called to live a life, listen to this, that's sin-free, the minute we forget that, that's when we start going deep into things that we ought not to do. Do I need to make a list this morning? We all know what sin is, and we all know the struggles that we face. You want to get your joy back? Then you have to do what David did. Come before him with repentance, come before God with repentance, and then start living that humble life. Because the Bible says God opposes the proud, but gives grace, gives strength gives his love, gives his power to the humble. So many of us are busy sacrificing and doing good work, and we're not happy. And the reason you're not happy is because your heart's not right with God. This is why I keep telling everybody, in fact, you must think I'm a broken record because every Sunday I keep saying the same thing. You have to pray and read your Bible every day. You have to maintain your relationship to God. Otherwise, your Christianity is just religion. And everybody looking on is laughing at what a joke your religion is. God's called us to a relationship with him. where We know him and love him and experience his love for us, where we have a joy, a joy unspeakable and full of glory, a joy that the world cannot give. A young boy, 21 years of age, with his friend, just 21, driving along down the street, when suddenly 
Jennifer Russell's boyfriend starts making faces, and there's, there's a, a dispute going on between the two cars. And finally, Jennifer's boyfriend turns down the window and spits on the car of Trip Bird. Trip Bird is so angry that he aggressively goes after Jennifer Russell's car and forces that car into a head-on collision. Jennifer loses her leg and then later dies of her injuries. All because her boyfriend spit on Trip Bird's car. We call it road rage. Imagine a trip picked up his friend Joshua, figured they'd go cruising, go driving around, have a little bit of fun. It began as a, a, as a perfectly normal day. I woke up in the morning, the sun's shining, a great day. What a great day to go for a drive and go hang out together with my buddy. Who knew that by the end of the day, he'd be responsible for the death of a perfect stranger? What happened? His sin nature got out of control. We shake our heads, click our tongues, can't believe that happened. And yet, it can happen to any one of us if sin is left unchecked, uncontrolled. Trip Bird faces seven years in, in jail for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon that is his car. And now Trip Bird and his friend also face charges of murder and manslaughter for which neither of them has yet stood trial. I'm telling you right now, sin waits at your door with devastating consequences. And because God loves you so much, he's showing you a way to get through this minefield called life so that you can avoid this kind of catastrophe. Oh, this might be an extreme example, but every one of us here today has experienced the consequences of sin. And what God wants you to know today is that you can actually have a happy, joyful life if you start doing things his way. And by the way, your sin never just affects you. It affects everybody. David's sin was responsible for the death of Uriah. It affected the whole community. It affected the whole nation. You say, how did it affect the whole nation? Because of David's sin, Nathan prophesied that Israel, all of the whole nation would suffer because of his sin. That's what your sin does. Now, if you came here today thinking that church is rubbish, church is is old and antiquated and it's not for today, you couldn't be more wrong. God has given us a way to get through this life and not to just get through it, but to get through it with joy and happiness. But we gotta do it his way. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we wanna say thank you today for your word, the Bible. 
It's a manual. It's a, it's a, it's a manual on how to get through life, to avoid the pitfalls in the minds, to get through life with real happiness and joy. Some of us are sitting here today and and, and it occurs to us that it's been a long time since we were truly happy, a long time since we had joy. God, you're telling us to do what David did, to examine our hearts, to see where we stand in our relationship to you. God forbid that our Christianity would just be a religion. God, you're calling us to a relationship with you, a life of full and complete surrender. So God, as we go from this place now, may we go with joy in our hearts, knowing that if we confess our sins, our sins are washed away. And if we obey your commands, then we'll know that joyful, wonderful life that you've promised. And we pray that for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person.